come on, where is it? Where is it? Hey man, I'm going to that heavily surveilled Korean restaurant. You want anything? Uh, Brad, have you seen my black hat Blu-ray? Yeah, it's on the shelf. Right between Blackfish and Black Mass. Right before you get to Black Panther and the first four seasons of Blue Bloods DVDs. I'm looking right there and it's missing. I can see it. Right there. Black hat. That's the DVD. Where's the Blu-ray? This is Michael Mann's first completely digital film. I need the picture to be crisp. Uh-oh. What? Remember when I told you I was going to clean out the duplicates from the movie collection? You didn't. It appears I may have. Well, we're making a stop on the way to lunch. Best Buy? Close. The city dump. From Los Angeles, California, it's High on Film! Tonight, we've got Aaron Teachman in Black Hat. Is your phone an Android? Can I see it on tonight's episode? Happy New Year and welcome back to High on Film. I'm Chris Maxwell, your host on the West Coast, and today we're celebrating the time-honored Hollywood tradition of the January dump. Movies pushed from the regular yearly schedule so far that they were released in a theatrical wasteland of January. So, for the next two weeks, we'll be flashing back to 2015 to re-examine a couple of films that the studios put out to pasture. And today, we're starting with Black Hat. From the year of our Lord, 2015, directed by Michael Mann, written by Morgan Davis Full, starring Chris Hemsworth, Viola Davis, and Tang Wei. Uh, Michael Mann's most recent film to date uh, originally had some Oscar buzz, but eventually pulled from uh, an Australian theatrical release because it performed so poorly here in the States. Uh, it still stands adjusted for inflation as Michael Mann's poorest take at the box office. So... That's why it is the subject of today's episode. Let's get to another name you need to know. The man right to my left, the co-host from the couch, the podcaster of disaster, and the Brad Davis that God gave us, my co-host and friend, Brad Davis. Hi, Chris. Oh, hey, Brad. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? Oh, do, doing well, man. Doing well. Now, I know you've seen a handful of Michael Mann films. Uh, do you think this film deserves to be uh, a January dump film? Uh. Yes, I think based on the standards that have been set, uh, what we're considering a January dump, this feels very in line with, uh, yeah, it feels very in line with that. So I think it makes a lot of sense. Okay. How does this compare to other Michael Mann films for you? Say, namely, oh, Miami Vice. I find a lot of similarities in these two movies, actually. Not in a good way. So they're pretty close for me quite honestly both unfortunately on a on a pretty low tier for man uh but i actually found a lot of similarities in these two movies at least from viewing experience uh and a little bit in just the making of the movie too but they're lower on the list interesting well speaking of miami vice let's get to our guest today we always have a guest to talk about our movies with us and today is a we have a returning high on film vet who once defended that infamous michael mann film uh, Miami Vice, one of our favorite guests to have on the show, Aaron Teachman, has returned. Welcome, Aaron. Hi. Thanks for having me. 
Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for coming back and uh, to talk a little more Michael Mann. Now, you were an ardent defender of Miami Vice. I imagine you still are. I still am, yep. How, what do you think of Black Hat? I, I saw Black Hat in theater. It shouldn't surprise you. Um, Does not. <laughs> I really like it. It's such a professionally made action film. It feels like the spy thrillers that I grew up reading um, in, in the beats, in the way that it builds, in, like the, in the romance and the side plots, all this stuff. So it was, it was so much of what I recognized, and it's just, it's just solidly done. Um, there's so much respect for hacking in it that I actually, it was such a relief to see a movie that didn't completely misunderstand computers that I was in from the beginning. So I really, really like this. I recognize this as not like top tier man for sure, but it's just, it's like, it's a professional film. It's a, it's, it's a phrase that's going to come up again, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I, I dig it. I'm, I'm totally into it. Yeah. Now, it is a little bit of a dense hacking film. Like you said, I, I think a lot of the computer stuff is factual. It's, it's completely true. Um, yes. All the terms and jargon they use, uh, which did, uh, I will admit, I'm not the most tech savvy guy. So it was a little bit of a barrier for me. But do you think that the, now this movie opened opposite American Sniper, which was like a huge hit for Clint Eastwood. Do you think that with weaker competition, it could have done better at the box office? Or do you think that the density of the hacking and computer stuff actually weakens its box office on a, on a national level. I think so from what I understand, the budget was something like 70 million. So this is one of those like mid tier movies that critics are constantly lamenting studios don't make anymore. <laughs> 70 million mid tier movie. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think, I think it's, it definitely doesn't deserve to open against a movie like American Sniper. I don't know that anybody knew that American Sniper was going to land the way that it did. So I understand the, the bet that they made with that, but I do think it could have done better if it was against a dumb schedule that did not include Clint Eastwood's name or Bradley Cooper at that point as well. Like between those two, I don't, that, that was, that was them taking advantage of a situation with weaker competition, which unfortunately in this case included Michael Mann. Yeah, a Michael Mann movie. I do think it could have done better with a different release date, though. Like first week of February, maybe. I, I don't know if it would have done better, but I definitely think this movie deserves a little more attention. I actually liked it a decent amount. Again, I don't, I'm not going to put it up there with the upper echelon of Michael Mann films. But I will say I, I enjoyed it more than Miami Vice, uh, sad to say, Aaron. I don't know if I need to go back and rewatch that again, but I can't get over that mojito scene and it, it <laughs> tanks that whole movie for me. Well, that's the thing about Black Hat that distinguishes it from Miami Vice is that Miami Vice is melodramatic to the almost to the point of camp. Like it would be camp if it felt like Michael Mann knew that. And I don't think he knew what kind of territory he was treading in, but black hat dials that melodrama way back. So there's no hint of camp in black hat. It's just serious. It's solid. There's some, it, which is also kind of its problem. <laughs> we, we yeah, I was going to say some of the lack of melodrama is one of my knocks against it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It might be a thing. And some of the kind of what it remind me of Miami vice is some of like the relationships, which I'll, kind of go into later but the relationship stuff that i have similar problems in both movies with all right well before we take it any further listeners if you haven't seen black hat or you've seen it when it came out and you need a, a refresher brad and i have prepared a little trailer for you to listen to to get reacquainted to the film so here that is 
In a world of computers, the hacker is king. You telling me some hacker in prison is hitting our financial markets. But when a dangerous code falls into the wrong hands, a nuclear disaster is just the beginning. One of the original authors is me. I co-wrote as a gag years ago at MIT. Michael Mann will lead you inside a computer's hardware for way too long. It's too complicated, you wouldn't have done that. While outside, infamous hacker Nick Hathaway cuts a deal to work with Viola Davis in the FBI in exchange for his freedom. Where do you think I'm going? This guy's one step away from my get out, Jerry Freeman. They'll team with an officer from Hong Kong and his computer engineer sister to track down a global terrorist with only one thing on his mind. Raising stock prices. Who do you mean? No one. No one ever shows. He texts. You locate this guy, you're okay. You get discovered, you're dead meat. You know that, don't you? You'll never know where you are. You'll never know what they're saying. And you'll never find out when the Chris Hemsworth and Tang Wei romance started. I'm gonna ask you a personal question. Don't answer if you don't want to. Who'd you lose on 9-11? Universal Pictures presents a realistic hacker movie where Chris Hemsworth barely wears a shirt and can't escape Marvel references. To come with you because of Black Widow. That was fast. Viola Davis, Tang Wei, Lehom Wang, and Chris Hemsworth. You still gonna like me if I'm fixing the wireless door openers? We are no longer in control. You asked him to change his password? Michael Mann's black hat. Wanna be cast for the ghost? Ah, oh, yes, a fine Michael Mann film indeed. And now it's time for trash. Star. Destroy. That's right, it's Trash Star Destroy, the favorite podcast game of Aaron Teachman and Megan Pryor Pfeiffer. How about that? Today, uh, today, every day that we play this game, we give you three movies of a similar ilk and ask you to trash one, which means it's eliminated from existence. You get to star in one, which means you get to take whatever role you'd like to take for your fragile actor ego. And of course, the third movie then must be destroyed, which means that the only version of that film has been both written and directed by Mr. Michael Bay of hmm, Transformers Age of Extinction fame. How about that? How about that? So, how about that? Let's do, we, we were already talking about so much Michael Mann, so let's do a trash star story of the most recent Michael Mann films we have. We'll start with Aaron Teachman's beloved Miami Vice. We'll move on to the next the movie made after that, Public Enemies, with um, Christian Bale and Johnny Depp. And the movie we just watched, Black Hat. Miami Vice, Public Enemies, Black Hat, Trash, Star, Destroy. Brad, what do you got for us? Boy, not an easy category. Uh, I think I want to... Give Miami Vice to Michael Bay because just knowing what that TV series is, that is a it, it would make so much sense that he would have done a Miami Vice remake. 
So I, I feel like giving that to him will obviously give that movie a very different, uh, different feel. But uh, I'm just amazed that he didn't pick up on that sooner and try to take advantage of it. So I think that's a logical choice, which then leaves me with public enemies and black hat. I guess I'm going to be John Dillinger in public enemies and kick Johnny Depp out of that. Uh, which sure. I mean, it's, you know, you get to play, you know, one of the most famous bank robbers of all time. That's fine. And at this point to get Johnny Depp out of any time with Marion Cotillard. (laughs) There you go. Teach is on it. Um, and to get Depp out of things is just a good idea at this point. Um, so then that leaves trashing Black Hat, which, you know, I uh, didn't love this movie. Uh, it's way too long with not enough plot for me to really, like the last hour, <laughs> the last hour was actually pretty good. I'll give it the last hour, but I paused this movie with about an hour to go. And I was like, wow, I can't believe there's an hour left in this movie. And then I will say like five minutes after I unpaused it, like, oh, okay, something finally big happened. And we finally... Yeah, you texted me at that point. It was hilarious. I was like, oh, finally some action happened in this movie. We've been doing an hour and a half of this with nothing. So unfortunately, Black Hat gets trashed. You're in good company there because that's what I'm going to do with Black Hat. Wow. Um, I do like the film. Like I said, it's professional, but also like it's disposable as a result. Um, And it shouldn't surprise you that I'm going to just take Colin Farrell's role in Miami Vice. Um, Maybe we get a better reading on the Mojitos line. Maybe I fight um, (laughs) as an actor and like get that line cut stronger more than Farrell did. I don't know. Um, but I'm definitely going to take that Sonny Crockett role. That'll be great. Um, uh, I'd love to be in that ensemble. And I'm super down with being spending some time with Gong Lee. That's also amazing. <laughs> so I'm just going to give, I don't I actually uh, understand exactly what man wanted to do with public enemies. It's fine. Um, but it's, it could be more. So it, I want more explosions out of that story. So uh, Michael Bay can probably handle dealing with that part of it i think uh i think so i'm gonna give uh michael bay public enemies i'm trashing public enemies that's pretty easy for me to do i think that might be the one i like least out of these three at least in my memory again i i maybe need to rewatch miami vice teach your love of this movie makes me want to rewatch it again but uh, uh public enemies i found to be again well like black hat i do think they're both overly long and do not need to be taking all day to, to watch and they because of man's pacing i think the length even feels longer especially when there's not some of his classic stylish action going on you know gunplay resonating in the background so public enemies is in the trash it's it's michael bay's miami vice i i hope he sticks closer to the tv show when he remakes it it'll be wonderful yep uh i would love to see you know just Transfer over painting game. You get The Rock and Mark Wahlberg in Miami Vice. It'd be amazing. It'd be awesome. I mean, yeah. the bad boys vibe is close enough. Like, Bay can do it. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. It's already baked into Bay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that leaves me to star in Black Hat. And um, uh, yeah, I, I think of kicking Chris Hemsworth out of this. I think I'm playing the hacker who's in a Pennsylvania prison and I get shipped off to Hong Kong and 
I get I can do a better American accent than Chris Hemsworth. That's for sure. Was it American? I mean, at times it was. We can. You can shelve that. We're definitely going to bring that up again. Right. Don't Can't worry. Wait. About I that. wanted to make sure we got to that. It was on my list. But as long as we're sure we're getting there, I'm happy. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. I think we have time for one more trash star destroy. Let's do. Speaking of Chris Hemsworth, let's do some non Thor Marvel movies. Non Thor Marvel movies. Non Marvel. Non Thor Chris Hemsworth movies. There we go. So we'll start with the 2016 Ghostbusters. We'll do Bad Times at the El Royale, the Tarantino light film that that is. And uh, his 2020 release, Extraction. Nice uh, war film, Afghanistan war film. So uh, Ghostbusters, Bad Times at the El Royale, and Extraction, Trash Star Destroy. I know the Ghostbusters movie is not well received. And I, I, you know, Oh, really? Where'd you hear that? I, I think I, I know there are problems with it. I think I liked it more than the masses did. Uh, it, it's It obviously is, a, not, you know, a flawed movie. But I'm going to still be in Ghostbusters because how can you pass up that opportunity to be in a Ghostbusters movie? And Paul Feig, and you got the great cast. I mean, if I'm taking a role, it's either the Hemsworth role or the the bat, Neil Casey as like the villain, the initial villain role. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I guess I'll take Neil Casey's role. I mean, it would make a lot more sense for the film uh, to not replace me with Chris Hemsworth. And I think that's that whole, his whole storyline of their reactions to him would come off a little false, but uh, and nothing, Neil Casey, I don't, you know, I've only seen him in a a few things, but I, I really didn't, I thought they could have found a better actor for kind of a pretty important role in that movie. I know it kind of transfers at some point, but whatever. Um, so I'm going to take his role and remove him from that movie. Sorry, man. Uh, which then leaves me with extraction. I, I mean, it has Michael Bay written all over it. It, it, it like is tailor made for him. So I'm giving that to Michael Bay, which then means, unfortunately I'm trashing bad times at the El Royale. That's fair. Like I said, Tarantino light. I mean, I did like that film, but it wasn't, uh, it's not anything that needs to go into the like national film preserve society or whatever. National library of Congress. <laughs> there it is. Well, it's in the library of Congress because it's a copyrighted. Uh, oh, sure. Gosh, gosh, damn damn it. It. What, what do they call it when they get the movies? The national film register. I think film register. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Teach. What are you doing with this trash star destroy? Yeah, so I actually just caught up with Bad Times at the Oil Royale today during the during the semi blizzard here in Nebraska. Um, so it's super fresh in my mind, and that may be coloring things, but that's the one I'm going to star in. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to take the desk clerk's role. The I don't even know; it's fresh enough that I don't necessarily want to spoil it or describe his mindset at the end of the film. But yeah, I he he's squirrely enough. It fits my vibe. I can definitely do that role. And it would be super fun to work with Jeff Bridges. Spent a lot of time with him, actually. And um, and Cynthia Revo, like, just being around her, she's amazing in that movie. And she does, she's got such range. It'd be, be great to just be around that cast. Oh, yeah. Um, she and Bridges. I mean, I know they more or less the main characters, but they definitely carry that movie further than it would go without them. Totally, totally. So Ghostbusters, I mean, Hemsworth is so funny in Ghostbusters. And I want some Kate McKinnon, Venkman energy in my life. 
<laughs> but I think we just need a do-over. I want an all-female re- reboot of Ghostbusters. That's cool. Like, put that, put that in development. Let's do that, and let's just take this 2016 thing and let's just take that negative energy out the door. I'm going to put it in the trash. We've got a shot at it again. We can do it again. That one, sorry. Uh, we'll leave that one out of existence. And then I respect the hell out of extraction. It is like I, uh, the, the words I used before is a professional. It's a professional action film. Post John Wick, the action is well-directed. It's brutal. It's effective. It's not, it's not a change to the world movie. It's not a great movie. So I'm totally fine with giving it to Bay and let him turn the dial up to like 12 or whatever on some of these other moments. I, he can definitely like Red said, like the extraction has Bay written all over it for me as well. I'm with you. I really liked extraction. That's a movie I caught up with last night as well. Uh, and it was really good. I, yeah, again, like nothing to be held upon a pedestal or anything, but I, I really enjoyed it. Professional is a really good word for that. It is, it's a, it is a very professional pretty kick-ass action movie of just a soldier going in to get this kid out and it's is pretty awesome i enjoyed quite a bit of it um especially in that second hour when the action all starts snowballing uh it's, it's really fun so for that reason i think i'm gonna be in extraction nice. i'm not gonna take the hemsworth role there's another guy in it the adversary for a little bit of hemsworth uh i, I think i'm gonna take that role Oh, fun. Uh, yeah, that'd be really fun. Yeah, man. I'll go up against Chris Hemsworth in, a, in an action movie. That'd be mm-hmm. really fun. Then I think, unfortunately, I did like Ghostbusters as well. Some of those scenes are perfect. The opening scene in particular, the way it nods to the original and, and it evolves it is so, so good. But I think it's going to go in the trash just because I don't want Michael Bay to do a Ghostbusters uh, franchise installment. Good call. So I, and I think he'd much be much more suited to a a Tarantino light bad times at the El Royale. I actually think Michael Bay might rediscover the fun of filmmaking with that kind of project. Something that's a little more campy and character driven than forced to stay in one location. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Rather than these big budget war movies he makes now. And I include a lot of the Transformers in there because he does so much soldiering in those movies too. But what are you going to do? But yeah, so I think that's it. Yeah. Michael Bay's bad times and I'm an extraction. Check me out on Netflix now. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, let's trash Star Destroy for another week. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more Black Hat, more Aaron Teachman, and more High on Film right after this. Looking for more hacker action, but don't want to go back to live free or die hard? Want a kid's die hard movie that's not home alone? Want Patrick Stewart as the main villain? Have we got the movie for you. 1997's Masterminds. Vincent Carthizer is a rebellious teen with a panache for technology, and he'll be put to the test when Patrick Stewart and his cronies take his sister's school hostage. He'll heat up doorknobs, he'll climb through air vents, and he'll clash with Brenda Fricker, the pigeon lady from Home Alone 2. Finally, an action movie that takes extra special care to let the audience know that no one is actually killed. The criminal mastermind of the century just met his match. Masterminds! Not to be confused with the 2016 Zach Galifianakis vehicle. And we're back, high on film, talking Michael Mann's Black Hat with Aaron Teachman today, and we are about to dig into the film. So, of course, spoilers will be inherent to this segment, so please, if you haven't seen the movie, you know, check it out if you want, or, you know, rewind and listen to the trailer again. We, we give you a lot of the context in the trailer we made. We will be ranking 
uh, the top three and the bottom three scenes from this film in a segment we like to call scene work. Of course, if it's not readily apparent, we are an optimistic podcast, so we will start things off optimistically with... Best scene. What are the three best scenes in Black Hat? So this this is Viola Davis, like, pre-Suicide Squad, right? But she is rocking the same vibe, and I... Oh, it's a good comparison. I didn't think about that. Yeah, where she's playing this bureaucratic hard ass who's, like, trying to crack the whip on people who aren't... <laughs> who are not inclined to stay in line. Um, <laughs> but her best scene actually doesn't involve Hemworth at all. It involves this um, like trader, Gary Baker, and they're at lunch with him. Yes. And Great choice. she does this whole thing where he's like, he's reacting to the Chinese, um, to, uh, to Chen Daowai, and he's just like stonewalling him. You need probable cause. And she's like, Gary, can I call you Gary? <laughs> and that whole monologue there where she's she's talking about i'm gonna call up laura and i'm gonna launch an official the whole thing how you doing (laughs) it's it's such a good she so nails it and the thing that seals it so completely for me is her her final line am i being tangible gary and just ah it viola davis nails it so well it's such a well-crafted scene the first part of this movie is is light on like drama and she clinches it so hard in that scene. I love that. That's, that's, that's number three for I'm me. I'm so glad you brought that up. Cause I had two scenes that were like tied for third and that was one of them. So it makes me, it makes my decision much easier. Cause man, she just nails that scene. It's perfect. Viola Davis. And yeah, that cap, that line that caps it just, it's a, it's a bullet right in the heart. Like she just kills you in that yeah. scene. It's great. Well, do you want, you want to do it round robin this time? You want to do your third now? We'll all do three and then move up to two. Sure, mix it up. Let's have fun with it. Yeah, yeah, I okay. think so. Uh, sure. Well, my other third scene. It's a it's a quick thing. And uh, Chris, we talked about this, so you might have this too. But uh, it is it, it's an action scene. It's in the last hour of the movie, but it's literally just a shot of Chris Hemsworth in a parking garage, just backing his car up into yeah. a truck that then is bulldozed through the wall and just falls through the roof of a building. Like I literally saw that scene and out of all, you know, obviously you've seen a lot of, we've seen a lot of action things, particularly done with cars. I've just never seen that. Like kind of the simplicity of just, yep, I'm knocking this over and this is going to go through the roof of that building below it. And that's is what it is. I was like, well, I love the building great. for that scene too. They 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 let you think about it. They let you hang like what is he doing? And you see you see Lien watching him, and she knows what he's doing. But like she's such a blank slate in some respects that you don't. Is she? Does she think he's crazy or what's? Yeah, it looks like he's driving thing? off. Like he goes down yeah, the ramp and then stops. Decided, and, yeah. yeah, it's so I love that. I love that little bit. I like yeah. That's such a great and it choice. Looks Absolutely. Great. Uh, all three of mine are are action scenes. I, I mean, I think that is. Michael May's Michael Mann's forte. It's really what I love that he does mo- the the best. And so three for me is actually in the tunnel going after Kassar and they get yeah. in a shootout in the tunnel that then uh, spills over into the shipping containers. Uh, I think it's just so fun. It was maybe the first time that I was it really hooked me into the film that I was like, you know, I was enjoying myself, but it was a lot of trying to process the information that was being thrown at me, a lot of exposition. And this was the first big action scene that I was like, 
oh, okay, you have my full attention now. I, I think some of the, the gunplay, the editing, especially with the shipping containers in the tunnel, it has heat echoes, like real big heat oh, yeah. energy there. Big but I, I really did love that scene. The gunplay was great, and I was so happy to be back in the world of like explosive Michael Mann gunplay. Oh yeah, and the the sound design there lets that scene hit. Like the, the it's not just gunshots; it's gunshots reverberating through that concrete tunnel, and and you feel every off the metal sides right. of the shipping containers. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally agree. That's a that's a one of my favorite sequences as well. Yeah, huge heat vibes. Like when I heard that sound design, I was like, I'm back in the movie heat. That's actually probably not fair to it. I almost held it against it in a way because it's like, well, it's not as good as that scene in Heat, though. <laughs> That's a problem with Michael Mann, though, right? Like his highest high is so high yeah. that you almost have to like separate it from the rest of his work. Otherwise, you're just gonna be like, "Oh, but it's not one of the greatest things ever put on film." Oh, okay. <laughs> Again, I should probably rewatch Heat because Collateral is my favorite Michael Mann for me. By I far. agree, emotionally, Collateral is my favorite as well. Yeah, I have an overarching theory of Mann movies that we could probably have on a different podcast so that I have to start about Michael Mann. Uh, <laughs> Can't wait to where be Collateral on it. is an exception <laughs> to the rest of this rule, but yeah. Teaching Man is that what it is? Teaching Man? <laughs> Do we have a title? Mm. Oh, I like that. Done. Okay, so there it is. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that one's free. Oh, I appreciate that. Sorry, Teach. What's the theory though? <laughs> Oh, the theory is like Michael Mann's specialty is dealing with hard men who don't give a fuck, discovering the consequences of accidentally giving a fuck. Like Mm. heat is the quintessential of this. Like these are all hard men doing hard things, but they are caught up. They are ruined by their emotional attachments, their attempts to be normal, their attempts to invest emotionally in something costs them everything because the thing that they had going for them is their ability to detach so thoroughly and just do the job ahead of them. Whatever that entailed, whatever hard thing that entailed, their ability to do that hard thing is compromised when they have some emotional attachment. That's heat, that's thief. To a certain extent, that's Miami Vice. Like, that's Sonny Crockett's whole mm-hmm. thing. You can argue that's um, in Collateral, too. Well, in Collateral, Cruise. what I think is interesting, it's Cruz, but Cruz is separate. Like, the dude who cares is Jamie Foxx. And the dude who does not give a fuck is Tom Cruise. All right. So before we delve any further into teaching man, uh, what are everyone's number two best scenes? <laughs> okay. So number two, uh, since we're I, I, since you guys, I think, are going to be action heavy, I'm going to lean on one more character moment. Uh, and it, it circles around what I think the, the best hacks in this movie. And I think, and this is true when you deal with like security researchers in real life too, the weakest link in any system is always the user. So the Hacks always begin with some form of social engineering where you're doing something to somebody to to catch them off guard. And then that's when you do the technical element with the key loggers and stuff. So the Black Widow sequence with William Apother as this asshole NSA dude who has access to this program that they need in order to decrypt that hard drive that came out of the, the nuclear reactor. He... The sequence like gets kicked off really strongly for me when Viola Davis is on that phone call with him, and she's like, "You remember that uh, program you let us use on on this on this other investigation?" She's like, "Could we use it for this?" You mean like, "Oh, oh, oh, give it to the Chinese?" <laughs> and he has that line, he's like, "I doubt I could do that even if I wanted to, and I don't want to." And then he hangs up the phone, which is a like a great own, and then that's when the hack starts, right? Like. Hensworth is like, 
what's his what's his superior's name and he writes up this email and he sends this pdf and the whole thing happens because this guy is an asshole who thinks he's better than he is and that's how they get into this system and that has all these consequences for the rest of the movie and i just think that's a great moment of character and plot together and the dialogue is sharp and sometimes this movie doesn't necessarily like have that all those things all happen at the same time sharp and dialogue that's, that's one of yeah that, the, yeah <laughs> it's a little lacking in sharp yeah. dialogue yeah hey, it sure. could be sharp i didn't understand most of the jargon so <laughs> it could be sharp mm-hmm. for a lot of my experience <laughs> yeah so that's my number two uh my number two is the climax uh in the parade or what yeah, yeah the parade the Balinese festival yes yeah. It is. I, I I did have moments within it of like these fight this fight and all of this going on where nobody's stopping and maybe there's something to that that makes that a little more believable of how I I didn't look into what that parade or festival is so maybe there is something where that's more believable. That aside, the point where Hemsworth sticks the screwdriver or screwdriver or knife or whatever it is in that guy's head, I was like, oh, I I jump back and then when the final showdown with the main bad guy when he just stabs the shit out of that guy's chest a bunch. I was, <laughs> it was like, it was a scene out of Perry Mason. I, I hadn't, it, it had been a while since I had seen a good stab scene. And the last time was Perry Mason. And that scene, I was like, I literally like kind of jumped up in my seat a little bit. That moment was, and, and the whole, atmosphere around it kind of this very looking through across the crowd tracking one another this tense uh, tensions are high suspense is high uh remind me of a actually a scene from the pelican brief um but oh really really a fan of that climax very well done that's my number two as well. I I, wrote, I started writing down when, when Hemsworth's suiting up for it. And I was like, oh, I love Chris Hemsworth. You talking to me screwdriver that he puts up his up his wrist, up his sleeve. And uh, it paid off in spades, man. When he puts that screwdriver through, uh, Sadix is the guy, uh, York Van Wagen, Wagengen is the actor. But when, they, when he jams that screwdriver through his skull, I was like, oh man, this is awesome. It's, I mean, there is a weird... <laughs> disconnect because there's so much open firing in a crowd (laughs) and um yasser is there too and he starts like punching kids randomly like just small kids he's just beating the crap out of them and i was like why is this in this film why are these people just running away uh but the hemsworth fight with sadik at the end is absolutely fantastic the fight choreography is excellent and uh yeah the the brutal knifing of of sadik is is great I, i really loved it it's my number two pretty pretty easily well now i'm super curious because that's actually my number one so we, we can, oh okay well do you want to speak to that like what anything that uh, drew you to that that we haven't mentioned oh i think so one of the things that man is always so really good at is that he's he's grounded in stuff that people actually do like he he is so he's not interested in like the hollywoodification of these things so when he's he has a former what does he what do you say i went to gladiator academy hemsworth if he's going into a fight he's going to do it so we're going to he's going to protect himself he's got the scarf he's got the phone books he's got multiple weapons he understands the terrain he understands the stakes and the situation so like everything 
about that jailhouse vibe is what I think is so interesting. Sometimes that falls away from his character, but that moment when everything matters the most to him, we 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 bring it back to there is a reason he was in prison. We need him to be able to do this, have this moment where he stabs him just like chest, 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 like something out of that. Um, it just reminded me of the the hunted that Benicio oh, yeah. movie. Yeah, he's like, this is how knife fights usually go. They're less than a minute long. Bam, bam, bam. Like once the opening is there, it's closed. And it's it's man at his best. Violence, stakes that hurt, and style. Like the there's the mood of, of all the the torches and the, and being at night and all this stuff. It all comes together in that moment. So that's that's why it's my number one. Yeah. And a justification for Chris Hemsworth's size for being like a computer hacker. Like, oh no, he's actually a bit of a soldier too. Like he's trained a bit. Like he's not just because I saw a lot of criticisms when this came out of people being like, really, Chris Hemsworth as a computer hacker, this guy with this body. And it's like, yeah, well, he's got a brain and a and a body. That's why he needs to be able to knife people to death in the middle of a parade. And he's been in jail. I mean, he's had time to buff up. Brad, what's your number one? Uh, yeah. My number one is while the scene itself. Uh, the execution of it is good, not great. Uh, the twist of the car explosion uh, yeah. with Chen Duai, uh in it, and then the ensuing gunfight where you lose Viola Davis and you lose uh, the guy from Mindhunters. Jessup? Jessup? Yeah, Jessup is the character's name. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was trying to think of his real name. Something, Ma- Ma- not McElhaney, but it's something like that. Yes, that it- I noted it. It is, yeah, Holt McElhenney, something like that. Yes, yes, uh, from yeah. Mind Hunter. Uh, that shootout after that huge explosion, like the slow motion explosion, I, I don't love, but I will say that was the point in the movie where I yes. locked in because I was fading in this movie because really that this is you know an, an hour and fifteen into the movie and it kind of feels like we're in a rhythm. Like, okay, going to this place, going to this place, we're, you know, kind of jumping around and you really lose a huge chunk of your main cast. Uh, It was a good twist. It got me. I didn't see it coming. And um, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Yeah, I'm lockstep with you. That's my number one as well. Uh, It's the biggest surprise that I got in the movie overall. I thought it was so fun. Conversely, Brad, I don't think the slow, slow motion looks too bad. I think it looks pretty good. It is a little campy to use, but that kind of drew me more into it. I, I kind of like that, especially because how the scene results in some absolute devastating deaths of Viola Davis and of uh, Jessup. Uh, and I believe in only a scene or two before, we lose Trang too, right? The the cop yeah. who's assigned to help them. Yeah. And so, I mean, it changed the whole movie for me. Losing three main characters or almost four in two scenes was... Uh, devastating and, and really drew me into this movie and really was the, the one th- true thing that surprised me about this film. Yeah. And again, I, I, I will eat that Michael Mann action up with a big old spoon any day he wants to serve it to me. Uh, it, it No problem being my number one there. I, I knew that when I was watching it. I, I didn't have a problem with how the slow motion looked. I just had a problem more with the slow motion choice. It, sure. It, yeah, it's, it's a campy, it's a campy choice. choice, and it yeah. felt very out of like we didn't really get that much else in the movie, so it felt like it. May, it felt like it might have even hit harder and been more effective if it was in real time. But is what it is. 
it is what it is. And it is what it is. If there's a best scene, that means, uh-oh, there must be a worst scene. Here we what go. are our bottom three worst scenes for Black Hat, guys? So we touched on it already. Uh, number three for me is Hemsworth's accent. Um, <laughs> yeah. I There are points where... It's, it feels like it's trying to be Boston because he went to MIT and maybe that makes him a local boy. There's a lot of time where I'm like, oh man, it's from Chicago. That's kind of nasally Chicago-ish flat. But Hemsworth isn't consistent enough to actually say where or why they make the choice. I'm just like, it, it's at some point, like you're going over the dailies. At some, You have to be like, well, we have to keep going. He is an American, so he has to keep trying. But... I like like a week in they must have been like why did did he have to be american couldn't he have been like an exchange student like it would have been so <laughs> easy it would have been so easy for him not to be american yeah Ugh. especially from an american point of view we have no problem accepting that someone lives here if they have especially an english or an australian accent and just went to school here and now live here we have no problem in our minds accepting that so i don't understand why they had to force this accent on him he has so many lines that it's you can just hear him slip out of it and then course correct like there's even a small one i even noted uh i think when they're asking him to do to to come out of jail and help them where all he says is god interviews over and it just sounds so australian and then by the time he gets to the end of over though he's like over like trying to really overcorrect it it's it's so funny and was a, a little source of joy for me throughout this whole movie oh. and i'm like oh chris Hemsworth. there was points where it sounded southern it, it was all yeah. over the place uh, my third least favorite scene uh, was the opening going through the like technology like the old school like dropping into the technology and following it through uh, following the you know trace or whatever through to, they they did it it takes like it, it's the first five minutes of the movie we're doing this and we don't really even know why yeah. and it feels like it's ripped out of the mid to late 90s and then once i was like oh my god i can't believe we did like five minutes of that then it pops back in like 10 minutes later or maybe yeah, a little longer. But I was like, we're really doing this again. I just, for a movie, this is 2015. It, it felt so dated yeah. of a choice and really just doesn't do much other than waste time. Yeah. It, it looks really dated. Honestly, there's parts of it that look like it can be from a video game anywhere from the late eighties to the early aughts. Like that's there's it's that kind of disparity in the graphics too, which is very strange to me that they included such overlong sequences of this. Like five minutes at the beginning of this film is a huge chunk of this film. I couldn't believe how long we were just going through computer board circuits. It was pretty ridiculous. It's actually my number two uh, <laughs> for that for worst scenes was just how much time we spend inside computers. Uh, although I will say there's one shot I do like where we look underneath a keyboard while they're yeah. typing in the password That's after they get the yeah 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 once they get the 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 motherboard out of the radioactive part yeah when he when he gets the keylogger so like you have the x-ray view as you watch him like as the computer is watching him type his type his password we get to watch him type his password that is that is 
like the counterpoint to some of the arcane. Like I like those graphics. I like that animation because it's actually pretty accurate to how you get into silicon and like how an oh, impulse is like propagated in the ones and zeros and the the pattern of the lights and zeros. But if you're if you're not clued into that, it's like it's as opaque as crap and there's no it doesn't they don't give you any reason to understand it. So you're just thrown into the pit like right away. So well, that, that makes me feel a little better though that it's like one for them. Like, you know, <laughs> if it was you know how like restaurateurs enjoy that chef actually takes the time to actually make things correctly. You know, like one of those where if you're in that or how jazz musicians hate whiplash, like if you're in that profession, you really appreciate the detail. So, yeah. all right. That makes me feel a little better. Agree. But still, for a movie that's too long already, it just still feels oh, yeah. so superfluous. Uh, but my number three is actually the chemistry between Nick Hathaway and Chen Lien. Yeah. Uh, boy, it, uh, Hemsworth and... Uh, Tang Wei. Boy, no chemistry at all. When they first kiss and then have sex, I'm like, where did this come from? And then what's even worse, compounding on top of that is the conversation. I think it's the last conversation Hemsworth has with her brother before he dies. On the helicopter? Like, hey, man. On the helicopter where he's like, you got to take care of my sister. He's like, I know what you're thinking. I'm out of prison. No future. What kind of future does your sister have with me? And uh, And what is it? It's, oh, they say the line her brother says, I've never seen her so happy. And while I think she's a very good actress, she does not have a lot of chances to emote in this movie. And to say that this woman has ever been happy in the span of this runtime is absolutely ludicrous to me. I was beside myself that they doubled down on the romance, which only leads to your theory, Teach, that, the, I mean, his problem with connection and, and emotional stakes is really tough. Yeah, she. Uh, I respect what she does here because she is easily the most proactive of man's like. G- well, well, not easily. Sorry, Gong Li obviously is like a co co runs a drug cartel essentially. So she's she's up there, um, kind of on her own. But a, a lot of these other women that that the that the people that the protagonists are associated with are incredibly passive and don't have any lives of their own. So like Lian at least has we know that she has uh, the same level of mastery of technology and networking that he does. Like she's, she's there because she is an expert, not just because he likes her because he saw her on the dance floor because he, he liked her from the diner or whatever, stuff like that. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, for sure. She's qualified. Her brother brings her in. You even get that scene where he's like, I need the best engineer I know. Yeah. And you know, recruits her, but yeah, it's, I mean, he literally Chris Hemsworth, beds her by saying well i have to go to china in the morning and then there's like having sex and you're like what just because he has to leave i don't they're oh you're attracted to each other i i did not get that at all yeah yeah I, the th- the scene in the helicopter is so funny to me too because they're surrounded by professionals and guns and yes. they're like go to channel four and we'll have this super deep conversation <laughs> you're sitting right next no to one people. will be listening all right well i did my number two already what do you what do you guys have for number two number two for me <sighs> is Ola Chica. Like, Hensworth, <laughs> early in his relationship with Barrett, with Viola Davis, does this Ola Chica thing, which I swear is in Miami Vice in a completely different context. But it's just, there's a payoff to it, which is not worth it 
after he impresses her with a hack or whatever, but it's just so writerly. It just feels like somebody needed to take the screenwriter, like, kill that darling. No, no, we're not wasting <laughs> time on that. We don't need that line. It's gone. Uh, it's so, it's just so transparently clever. I hate it. Uh, yeah, I got that. Absolutely. Brad? Uh, my number two is the, I believe they're in a Korean restaurant. It's, <laughs> it's Hemsworth and uh, uh yes, and it is a full-on exposition dump from Chris Hemsworth that is so blatant and terrible that, uh, like, I I even had a moment because it, it points in this movie. I was like, I don't even know why we're here because it kind of moves quickly and they don't explain things well. So I'm like, I don't even know what supposed to be meeting a hacker right. right and then he doesn't show so he gives this whole like full like with without much uh motivation without her saying much he just goes into his whole got stepped in front of a girl at a bar and killed some guy and that's why i'm here like it is so blatant and so bad and then he like runs to the back room and now he's just in the back part of this restaurant where nobody is and he's hacking the computer he's talking to the hacker he calls himself Ghost Man. I was just, ugh. I was so bummed out by that whole scene. His sixth sense in knowing that they're being filmed, too, is pretty hilarious in that scene where he just stops all of a sudden in conversation, kind of looks over his shoulders, and he immediately knows there's a camera on them, runs to the back room, immediately to the room with the surveillance system in it, and hacks in. Uh, it is, I do like the resulting fight yes. afterwards i think yeah. that's a very badass fight but yeah it's a it's a bad clumsy scene for sure so my number one and we've touched yes. on it a bunch and it is p-a-s-i-n-g pacing Terrible. this movie does not know where its center is and we could go through the first 90 minutes in 30 and spend a lot more have a way better final fight Actually, like, I love how we touched on that, like, just jacking that truck into intra-armor in Jakarta and just, like, waltzing in the next day as a as a repairman to do what he needed to do there. But that heist could have been a real heist. There could have been more for Lien and Nick to do as a solo act. Like, yeah, the pacing on this movie is just way off. It's... I I, re I revisited the film. I've actually seen this this movie twice in the last three months. Um, oh, funny! I was I was just catching back up with some stuff, and I revisited. And I'm like, yeah, this is really good. Oh, it is. Every I, I remember people hating on it, and then like, no, this is solid. This is not crap. I have seen much worse. And coming back to it for this for the show, I'm just like, oh, this first hour and a half is excruciatingly long i love the hacker stuff but it is not enough to justify the length of this before we get to the meat of the action and that scene in the passageway with kosar clocking them like oh bad pacing is real bad that's my number mm -hmm. one and I, I can actually roll that into my number one which was which we kind of talked about the relationship between hemsworth and yeah chen lian it is and, and, and I'm just going to basically say, like, it goes into pacing for me. How many scenes do we need of them lying in bed melodramatically? How many scenes do we need of them on a plane? Do, like, there are so many transitions in this movie that are there to provide more character work, I guess. But it 
doesn't do that at all. All it does is make it feel longer and make it feel like your your pacing is just bad and you already suffer from a plot that isn't easily uh, followed. So when you then have these weird transitions in between and a and a plot that doesn't naturally connect, it really becomes fractured quickly. And and you're right, the first hour and fifteen hour and a half is really tough. And then you get to that last hour and it starts moving. But you're absolutely right; it, the pacing in this movie is terrible. And I and that's actually where I think it's worse than Miami Vice, where I think while that movie has its own pacing problems, the pacing in this movie is egregious. The thing that bothered me most is actually the score. I wrote down that as the movie was going, I wrote down, uh, you know, it has a lot of like bad pulsing techno that feels like it was popular five to 10 years before this movie was made. And then I do a little research after the movie's over. And not only do I find out that uh, Harry Gregson Williams, the guy who's credited with the score has publicly said that contains that movie contains so little music that I actually wrote and am responsible for. And then I do some further research, find that Michael Mann just likes to pick and choose music from all over the place. So this actually includes some music that was used in Elysium, the Matt Damon movie. Oh shit. As well as also crediting the composer Atticus Ross. Yeah. I and I actually Ross credit. specifically wrote down that, oh, you know, I was like, I don't like the music. And I was like, oh, maybe that's just because I watched The Social Network so recently. And that music's so good. And Atticus Ross credited on both films. Uh, but here, the music just seems so haphazard and and slapdash. It, it's None of the music has any real character outside of, like, copyright-free late aughts, early, or late 90s, early aughts techno. And, and it there doesn't feel like there's any through line to the score at all, which bothered me so much. It was like, Oh, we need to pace up this techno jargon, put a behind it. Like, and it just, it bothered me to no end throughout this entire movie. The score, I really had a problem with here. It's interesting because like man loves his electronic music for like Tangerine dream did the score to (laughs) thief. (laughs) Um, Mm. But between public enemies and this movie, he seems to be losing the through line like public enemies is period music he, he used to have a real grip on the score like the way he uses that moby song in heat is like kind of makes you forget that moby had anything to do with that song <laughs> um and i like moby um so like the, he elevates he elevates that song really well he usually understands the relationship between the emotion and the music and these last two films he has kind of kind of like lost touch with the music in that way so yeah i've found the score i don't always hit the technical things as much especially on a first watch of a movie like it, it, they aren't the things that stand out to me score usually is something i pick up on one way or the other and i will say in this movie i found it totally forgettable like i barely even remember the score mm-hmm. which it, it, it kind of leads to your point chris like that's not a good sign if i don't even remember it so All right, guys. Well, I think we just built a movie. Congratulations on some good scene work. And now it's time to move into our final podcast game. It's time for Milking It, the game where we're going to roll out the big computer of Hollywood Ideas 2000, and it's going to give us a few pieces of information going forward. 
it'll supply us with a genre, an actor, or a director in which to use to reimagine any parts of Black Hat, the characters, the plot lines, the score, whatever we'd like to take from the film uh, and piece together a brand new movie to put out there for the studio system. We'll need a title and a quick summary. And for you to successfully make your pitch, you'll also be supplied with a pitch length. That'll be either a uh, elevator pitch, which will allow you 30 seconds to get out your idea, a water cooler pitch, which will give you one American minute to pitch your idea to an executive or a minute and a half in front of the studio executives for the boardroom pitch. So let's fire up the big computer and see what it has in store for us today. All right. Oh, Brad, it looks like you're going first today, buddy. All right. You've got the elevator pitch. 30 seconds for a comic book or superhero movie. Works for me. Starring Chris Hemsworth. I don't know how you're going to I'm going to recast. (laughs) (laughs) Good idea. Good idea. Doesn't fit it. Tishman, you'll be next with the water cooler pitch. One American minute, 60 seconds to do Black Hat. Oh, okay. This is a challenging one. As a documentary. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get scary. <laughs> yeah. Let's get, let's get into real world hacking. Let's really get shit out of each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that leaves me with the boardroom pitch a minute and a half to do the prequel to Black Hat. Ooh. What came first? Yeah. I'm thinking maybe what put Chris Hemsworth in jail? You know, we'll he told you out. in that one scene I hated. <laughs> yeah. Did he? I don't remember. <laughs> he, he beat up somebody. Oh, right, yeah. right. Yeah, he broke the nose. It's like a um, it's a Con Air kind of imprisoning. It's a full-on Con Air imprisoning. All right. Well, we're going to take a few minutes, and we'll be right back with three brand new movies for your listening enjoyment right after this. And we're back right in the middle of milking it for Black Hat. Okay. Where were we? Brad, you're kicking us off with the elevator pitch. 30 seconds to get Black Hat out Black Hat out as a comic book or superhero movie of which we've been so deprived this year. Happy to oblige. Although I guess we did just get one very recently, Wonder Woman 1984, but that's neither here nor there. So 30 seconds on the clock. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Elevator doors are closing and... Away you go. Okay, so a hacker in prison has found out his old partner is threatening uh, with a code, threatening the world with a code they wrote together. He's able to get his wife, who is stuck by his side, to slip him a computer inside, and his only way to attach is through a bare wire in the wall. So when he connects to it, lightning strikes and connects his computer to him, and now he's able to hack computers with his mind. He's able to escape with his new powers, and he goes off to fight his best friend slash new nemesis uh, with his new name. Ghost Man. I thought for sure you're going with Hackman. Uh, I also thought of going with the Black Hatter, and that would be like his name. Oh but Ghost Man is literally in the movie, so it felt yeah. like I had to do that. So, but it's a good name, like it's evocative, and I think he earns it with the origin story that you give him there. That's pretty cool. Thank you. I do like the the Black Hatter more, though. I know. <laughs> I went back and forth on Ghost Man and Black Hatter. <laughs> I had hack attack actually at first, but then I was like, there's something better than that. <laughs> yeah. right I had a bunch of hack titles too, yeah, actually. But uh, yeah, now I wish I would have gone Black Hatter, but Ghostman is in the movie. So 
that's works. what you get. All right, Teachman. Uh, you have a documentary for the water cooler pitch. One American minute. You ready for this? Sure. All right. Grab your Dixie cup, fill it up with water. Here comes the executive. Go ahead. Okay, so we are at one of the large nuclear power plants in the world. It's in South Korea, and we want to send a documentary team there. To, we want to understand how how they run, why nuclear power is safe, why the world's okay with this. Um, and that is would be okay, except we what we really want to do is to show people what hackers are really capable of doing. So we have this pair who have written some code, um, and they want to... They want to they want to give people an object lesson in what it can do. So the documentary crew comes in and is the front for them to figure out what programmable logic is being used in this power plant. And they jump the air gap and introduce the code that these two have set up uh, to kind of like war games ish. We're not actually going to do this. Don't sue us. Um, but we'll re we'll go, we'll show you right up to the end of what could happen in a movie that we're going to call break things, make money. Oh, I like that title a lot. That's almost like a limp biscuit song title. I think, <laughs> but no, great job. Documentary is one of the, I think more challenging cards to get it. I'm, yeah. I'm, I think you, you did a very good job. Agreed. Yeah. The documentary team going there for one reason, being used for another reason, it, it, it all works out well. And this Black Hat is based on true events, correct? Um, or a true event? Yes. So to a certain extent, it's based on the Stuxnet. Um, uh, it's the based on how the Israelis and the Americans kneecapped Iranian centrifuges in 2011, um, which was to um, convince local operatives to bring a USB drive to update the printer drivers, which um, affected the PLCs on the centrifuges and caused them to spin so hard that they broke themselves. Wow, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, hey, there you go. The user's the weakest link in the chain. All right, guys. Well, that leaves, uh, that leaves me with the boardroom pitch. Taking the elevator all the way up to the executive suite for a minute and a half for the Black Hat prequel. All right, so it's the late 80s, and Nick Hathaway and uh, Chen DeWai are are college students, maybe a little too bright for their own good. They're screwing around in their dorm room one night, a little drunk after being rejected by girls, and they create the master code that can hack into any computer system on Earth that we have in this movie. Uh, Nick wants to release it for free, uh, letting hackers everywhere take advantage of it. He's a little bit of an anarchist that way, but DeWai wants to sell the code to the highest bidder. This leads to a massive falling out across campus between the two friends uh, as they both work behind the scenes to see their wishes fulfilled, sabotaging one another at at every turn that they can. Uh, Meanwhile, a young Yassar overhears one of their arguments and sets out to steal the code. He does so and he uses it. Yassar is also a college student at uh, at where they MIT. Is that where they go? Yeah. uh, young Isar uh, steals the code and he uses it to escalate the tensions between the U.S. and the Soviet Union, uh, forcing Nick and Dwight to come back together and stop Yassar and save the world from plunging into World War III in the Black Hat War. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Little social network, little war games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there is a famous incident in 1983 where we almost went to nuclear war with Soviet Russia. So, like, that taps into some real, like, Americans grade, like, paranoia as well. I love it. Love it. Yeah. Was, was that war games? Was that Matthew Broderick's war games when we almost went to war with Russia? <laughs> yes, exactly. Good. <laughs> Makes me feel better. 
Good. Yeah. I'm glad it has a happy yeah. ending. <laughs> well, guys, I think we just sold three brand new movies. Congratulations. We, we kept Hollywood running in this in these troubling times. They really needed us. They really did. Well, we're about at the end of the show, guys. There's only one last thing to do, and that's Aaron Teachman. You just watched Black Hat. What are you going to do next? Well, uh, in keeping with my new podcast, Teaching Man, um, I should probably <laughs> catch up with Ali, which is a blind spot for me <laughs> in Michael Mann's body of work. So that's what I've got next. All right. I hear it's good. Actually, that's a blind spot for me in, in Michael Mann's filmography. It is good. It, again, too long. Uh, but it, it, it is good. Will Smith is very good. Like you, you're not. You don't feel like you're transporting. You're watching Ali, but he does a great job. He does. He does everything he can with it. All right, looking forward to it then. Brad Davis, you just watched Black Hat. What are you gonna do next? Uh, I the blind spot in my uh Michael Mann is actually Last of the Mohicans. I've uh, never mm. seen that. Um, and also, I wouldn't mind going back and watching a Michael Mann movie I have seen, which I haven't seen in a while, which I loved at the time and want to see how it stacks up, which is The Insider. Oh, man. I, God, that's another blind spot of me. I, I, it's so funny. I mean, well, go ahead, Brad. Ask me the question. <laughs> uh, Chris, you just watched Black Hat. What are you going to do next? Guys, like you guys, I'm going to fill in some Michael Mann blind spots. Mine is different, actually. Thief and Manhunter have been on my to-watch list for almost as long as I've had it, and it's time they both get checked off. I am a bigger fan of Michael Mann's earlier work overall than I am his later work, so it's it's only a matter of time that I've checked those out. Although I will say, funny enough, The Insider and Ali are two other blind spots I have for him, along with another early film he has, The Keep, I think it's called. That's all the Michael Mann blind spots I have in total. So this year, actually, it's been a little project of mine to, to tear through some directors completely. Tear right through. Uh, tear, tear into some directors completely. Their works, yeah. Get on Twitter and just really let them have it. Um, well, guys, that's the show. Thank you so much, Teachman. Uh, appreciate you doing the show, buddy. Do you have any plugs, uh, anything you want people to know about? You know, funny enough, it, there is. Uh this last October, I worked with the Atlanta Opera on two shows in the Big Tent series. We did we uh, we created safe, socially distanced live theater, live opera, um, and one of the things that resulted from that is that um, we created sort of a documentary version of it. So you can stream the first half of that um, double bill. It's called the Kaiser of Atlantis. And I did, I designed the digital media and the, uh, the projections for that, even though it's an LED screen. Um, that's available now on Atlanta Opera's website to stream. And we are oh so close to putting the finishing touches on the second, uh, film, uh, second film version of the other opera there, which is Pagliacci. Um, cool. Uh, so yeah, those are- But Doctor, I am Pagliacci. That's that joke, right? <laughs> I don't know that joke. Where is it? There's a, a guy goes to the doctor, and he says, "Doctor, I'm I'm so depressed. I, I need. There's nothing in the world that can cure me. I, I think I'm going to kill myself." And the doctor goes, "Well, you should go see Pagliacci the Clown. He's in town tonight. He has one of the best shows. It'll give you an uplift, uh, a huge uplifting experience." And the guy turns to the doctor and says, "But doctor, I am Pagliacci." Oh, that's funny. That is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it's a classic. I think it's Pagliacci. It's it's a classic clown name and a classic joke. But oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, 
That's so great. I did not know that. And uh, so, yes, exactly like that. Um, (laughs) And also with a depressing ending, Uh, although we did change the ending up a little bit. So uh, a little less depressing than opera usually is, um, if that's your thing. Uh, (laughs) That one's coming out soon. Either way, that's amazing, Teach. That's that's so cool. Very cool, man. Congrats. Yeah. Thanks. Congrats. Yeah. And and always appreciate you having on the sh- having you on the show, buddy. Really, really, really love you. It's such a privilege and a pleasure. You're one of our biggest yeah, fans you and so you're much. you you support us in such a great way. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Brad, same goes to you, buddy. Thank you so much for doing the show as always. Anything to plug? At BD Always GP on Twitter and Instagram. And uh yeah, check out Death at Sunset. It's Still available, believe it or not. <laughs> so good. Two full seasons. Thank you, Teachman. You, you've been an, an ardent supporter of it, oh, and yeah. uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, but two full seasons of Death and Sunset available wherever you get your podcast now. A film noir, sunshine, sunshine noir radio play podcast. Uh, and join us next week for another 2015 January dump film, which we're very excited about, I guess. No, we're excited for the episode. I'm not excited to watch this movie, though. So join us next week. There's also tons of Christmas episodes out you can listen to. Before that, we do have Social Network and a mini episode of Mank and Citizen Kane and tons of stuff on High End Film. So check out any of those and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And that is it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. We love you. Goodbye. Wow, look at all the physical media people are just throwing away. Chris, we just purged our collection. We do not need to bring home random DVDs from the dump. Random? Does Taken 3 sound random to you? You haven't even seen Taken 2. Well, this will give me an excuse to catch up. Fine, you can have Taken 3, but that's it. Oh, come on. Jason Statham's Wild Card? I've never even heard of that movie. Oh, seriously? It's what he does right after Expendables 3. Wait a minute. Is that it? Yep. Black Hat Blu-ray, the Hemsworth Accent Edition. It's definitely yours. Oh, awesome. What a relief. Oh, but it's stuck to something. Ugh, a Mordecai DVD? Sorry, Black Hat Blu-ray. You belong to the dump now. High on Film is a Maxwell Davis Productions podcast. Original music by Zach Pfeiffer. For more information, follow at High on Film on Twitter and Instagram or email the show at thehighonfilmshow at gmail.com.